Welcome to One Cause Church. We hope you enjoy this inspirational message. If I had a title for it today, I would call it The Impersonators. You know, we have a lot of impersonators around, people that are, they impersonate good guys. Try to make you believe that they've got your best in their heart. Most of the time we call them politicians. If you're a politician, I don't mean any disrespect, but nobody likes you. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I heard a definition for politics. I heard a definition for politics uh, several years ago, poly. Poly, it's two words. Poly means many, ticks, blood-sucking leeches. Um, so... <laughs> Well, but we have, we have these voices of people around that are impersonators. And, and I was thinking about that this morning, and then I was thinking about the devil is an impersonator. He, the Bible says he impersonates a lion seeking whom he may devour. He's not really a lion. He just acts like one and threatens like one and screams like one and roars like one, but he ain't it. So we don't... We don't oftentimes think of this kind of life as, as good because it doesn't seem genuine. It doesn't seem real. It's fake. It's fraudulent in some way. However, there's a wonderful verse of Scripture that flips the script. The Bible does this to us many times throughout the Scriptures. For instance, in the book of um, Isaiah, I believe it's around chapter 43, says that, that a generous man plots and schemes generous things. See, we don't, we don't think of plotting and scheming as a good thing. We think if somebody's plotting and scheming, well, then it's got to be bad. But the Bible says that the generous man actually plots and schemes generous things. And by his generosity, he stands. I, I just love how the Bible takes these things that we always put in the context of a negative and he'll flip it around to a positive. This is one of these ideas I'm going to show you today. So if you would take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore be imitators. If you had a Greek dictionary, you would look this word up and it means impersonate. Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. Now, there's a lot that the Bible has to say that I think you and I would both agree is quite challenging. The Bible sets bars kind of high, which is good for us. You know, when it says in, in, in later on, actually in, in this section of Scripture, Ephesians, it says, Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. <sighs> Seriously? I love my wife a lot, but Wow. I mean, that's, that's a high standard. Here's a high standard in the same passage. Don't get mad at me. Don't throw rocks. Wives, submit to your husbands. Well, that's a high standard because we all know your husband. That's a high standard. <laughs> Love your enemies. I keep going back to Matthew chapter 5 thinking he's going to change that, but it's still there. Every time I go back, it's still there. Like, Lord. 
And here he sets the bar the highest that he possibly could. And he says, if you're going to act like anyone, if you're going to impersonate anyone, if you're going to imitate anyone, imitate God. How in the world are we supposed to do that? Because we have in our mind that there's God and then there's us. There he is in all of his splendor and his beauty and his wonder. And then there's us. It's like, Lord, what, what are you saying here? But there's a real key phrase. And here's what it says. Imitate God as dear children. You see, children don't argue about whether they should imitate their parents or not. They do it instinctively. A lot of times they imitate the worst part of you in public. <laughs> if you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's like, you have not shown that one time at home. Why now did you decide to pull that out? But imitation comes from time spent, exposure. I have uncles and aunts that are adopted, and my granddad adopted them, and they act like him. But they're not blood-related, but they act like him from having spent years with him. As I said, kids don't argue about the imitation. And, and we, as children of God, have to stop the argument within ourselves that says, yeah, but he's God. I can't. I've done. I've messed. I've... And we start disqualifying whether we actually can or are allowed to even try to be like him. But when I read verse 1, I don't see a suggestion there. I see a command. Therefore, be imitators of God. Not, not when you feel like it, not if you're up to it, not, if, not, not, not at the moment that you decide that you've done enough good to actually try to be like God. No, just do it. Okay, well then, how do we do it? How do we do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. It actually starts, it starts with the very next verse. Verse 2, and walk in love. As Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Walk in love. We know that the Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, that God is love. I don't have time to explain. I preached this actually the last time that I was here. And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm going to just state something to you. And I'm asking you, if you weren't here last time to hear me expound on it, I'm just asking you to believe me, okay? God loves you immensely. Yeah. Yeah. And he is not changing his mind about that. Yeah. He's not. He's not changing his mind. 
So we're not trying to get God to settle how he feels about us. Most of the time, we're having to figure out how we feel about him and about ourselves. For God, it's settled. He loves you. As I said a moment ago, our love for him is a response to his great love towards us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 says, In this is love, not that we loved him, but that he first loved us. He loves us. He loves you very much. And because he does, now you can actually walk in love. Because love is coming towards you from heaven. The great writer C.S. Lewis wrote a a, um, presentation or a a, a paper, actually, um, for a college that later became a book called The Four Loves. And and, and what he does is he identifies the four Greek words used in the Bible that we define as love or that we translate as love. And it starts, the first one is the Greek word storge, S-T-O-R-G-E, storge, and it means affection. It's, it's the, the picture is puppy love. You know, when those two people, when they first get together and they just wear you out with all their, you know what I'm talking about? It's like, oh, he's so sweet. Oh, she's so wonderful. I've been married 25 years. I hope we're still like that. Honestly, I do. But you know what I'm talking about. That's storgy. It's affection. Um, it, it also is used in the context of a parent with a child. As there actually is a word picture of a parent kissing a child on the head. Storgy. And then there is philia. Philia is a Greek word that means friendship. More precisely, the word philia, friendship, actually what what Greek means by this word is that it is only, it's only complete when it is the exchange between two individuals of the same sex. So philia is seen between a man to a man and a woman to a woman most accurately. Now, we live in an age, and Ashley and I refer to each other as friends, and we live in an age where everybody's our friend, but the truth is that that we're not all friends. And, and so I have three daughters. This is one of three daughters that I have, and, and it's why I have gray hair. But <laughs> they, they would talk about a boy at times, and I would say, uh, oh, you, you like him? Oh, no, no, he's just my friend. I'm like, baby, he ain't your friend. <laughs> now, you may think... You're his friend? He ain't thinking that. Because philia don't work like that. It don't work like that. That boy's got a plan. He's got motive. He's not your friend. Don't be fooled. He's not your friend. Okay? Amen. And, and I know this may hurt somebody's feelings, and I don't mean to hurt anybody's feelings, but I didn't marry my wife because I needed a best friend. I married my wife because of Eros, the third love, the love of lovers. And we have four kids because I love my wife. Not particularly crazy about the kids. No, I'm just kidding. I, <laughs> 
man, we are naughty this morning. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But um, it's the love of lovers. It's, it, it is most completely seen between opposite sex. And then there is the fourth one, which is agape. We say agape. The literal Greek calls it agape. C.S. Lewis called it agape. I'm not going to call it that. But what it means is the forever unconditional love. What sets agape apart from the other three is really one thing. And it's not just that it's unconditional. It's not that it's forever. That's not, really not what sets it apart. What sets it apart is that it is one way. Whereas all the others have built within them a sense of reciprocation that I show you affection with an expectation that you show me affection in return. And I, as a friend, show you love as a friend and you show me love in return. And I, as a lover, show my lover love and she returns that love to me. But Agape says, I love you even if you never love me back. There's no reciprocation in agape whatsoever. Now, it's wonderful to get it back, but there's not that expectation built within it. The Bible says that God demonstrated his agape towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. He made a decision to love. And it wasn't based on what we would do or wouldn't do. It was based on him. Therefore, this makes agape the most difficult of the three, of the four. Three of them are reciprocal. This one is not. It makes it the most difficult. But ladies and gentlemen, this is the word that's used in Ephesians chapter 5. This is the goal. Therefore, then our love cannot be dictated by what we feel or what the other individual does. We make the decision to love. What I do appreciate about it, it says walk in love. That means it's a process. It's not, gonna, it's not an overnight success. You walk in it. When I left my house south of Austin, Texas to head this way, I walked out my front door, and just because I walked out and took one step out onto my porch didn't mean that I was here. It required me taking another step and another step and another step. And fortunately, there's a car in the process. We're not just going to show up and be like God, loving everybody because we just decided one day. We're going to make mistakes along the way. We, get, we even can get instructions from the word and make mistakes with how we apply that. I think about, I think about my son. He's not here, so we're going to talk about him. Um, but when he was little, when he was little, we were at the beach. Anybody love the beach? Yeah, I don't. But we were at the beach, and, 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 and Koi comes over to us, and he's like, Dad, i got to go to the bathroom. So what do you do? Come on, men, tell me, what do you do? You go underwater. Right? You go underwater. Fish love it. You go underwater. And I said, Coy, just go underwater. He's like, okay. He turns around and takes off running. Me and Jennifer are talking. Me and my wife are talking. And my wife looks up. She goes, Brandon. And I look. And he's standing at the edge of the water with his shorts down around his ankles. Going in the water. 
there are times where you're going to miss it when applying the word. You're going you're gonna to apply it the wrong way. You're going to think it's saying one thing when it's actually saying something else. And it's just a journey. It's a walk. Listen, give yourself a little bit of grace and a little bit of latitude in your journey. God is giving you an immense amount of grace and mercy on your journey. But it starts with a decision. That's the first thing, to choose to love like this. You have to make the choice, and then it will work itself out. So I got three quick things. Actually, I have so much more to say. Lord, help me. But just three things about this kind of love. Let me say walking in love. There are some characteristics of it that I want you to see. I'm just going to go through them because i got to go further. Love covers a multitude of sins, the Bible says. That means that love protects and guards and defends the people. In its, in its wake, in its sphere, love protects. And as the church, as people of God, we must fight for one another and protect and cover and not be in the business of exposing, but in the business of covering and protecting. Amen. Amen. Love, we find this in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37 and 38. Jesus says, we, a verse a scripture we're probably most of us familiar with, Jesus says, it says, and Jesus said to his disciples, lift up your eyes and look for the harvest is ready, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers into the harvest to reap it. Now, just quickly to explain, uh, this verse is most oftentimes used to encourage us and inspire us to go evangelize and win the lost. I'm not here to argue that. All I'm saying is that's not the context. That's actually not what is being said here, um, it, but you should go win the lost. Okay? But that's not what this verse, Matthew chapter 9, is saying, because it says it's the harvest. And scripturally, the harvest is the saved person. The lost person is the seed that needs to be watered. When God gives the increase and the harvest is there, they are born again. So we don't need evangelists going to get the born again. So then what's he saying? Well, you just have to back up a couple of verses. Verse 35 says he went about in all the cities and he healed all the sick and all the disease and he healed them all. Verse 36 says, but, but when he saw the people, he was moved with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were scattered like sheep without a shepherd. What moved the compassion and the love of Jesus Christ was that there were sheep with no shepherd. So love, what this is telling us is that love, the Christ kind of love, gathers people. It doesn't scatter people. Yeah. That we pull people yeah. close rather than push people away. Yeah. We gather. And it also says, it also says that's, that word shepherd is the same Greek word that's used in Ephesians 4 that is defined as pastor. So what that tells us is that we are all actually called to be pastoral in, in, in our demeanor and nature towards other people. You don't have to have a position or a title to be a pastor. It's an act. It's a function. And then the, then the third thing is that love gives. John 3, 16, God so loved that he gave. Love gives. Be a giver. Be a giver. Uh, Isaiah 58, the people are crying out to God, saying, we're fasting and you're not noticing. And God is actually repeating that to them. He's like, you keep saying you're fasting and I'm not paying attention. Then he asked this question. He said, 
Is that the fast that I've asked of you? Did I ask you to afflict the soul and stop eating? Did I ask you to do that? And he says, no, this is the fast that I have asked of you, that you would feed the hungry, clothe the naked, and loose those who are bound. He said, this is the fast, give. Give. Give of yourself. We think of fasting as just abstaining from food. But Isaiah tells us that fasting is about giving of ourselves to someone else. Okay, i got to keep going. Because there's a, there's a couple other characteristics about, about God that we need to know in our imitating Him. It's found in verse 8. First one, again in verse 2, walk in love. Verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. So we walk in love, and now we walk in light. Matthew chapter 5 Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world that cannot be hidden. You're a city set on a hill. You guys familiar with that passage of scripture? Matthew chapter 5. He says that you are, you are the light. Um, there is a, can I Bible study with you for just a second? There is a rule. I'm not supposed to step down here. They're going to get mad at me back there. Um... There's a rule of Bible study in the rules of hermeneutics, which is about how to study the Bible. There's a rule called the law of repetition, which means that when something shows up over and over and over in a passage of Scripture that's repeated over and over, that it's the overall overarching theme of that passage of Scripture, okay? And in Matthew chapter 5, we have so many truths that Jesus gives. The, 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 it's called, uh, there's a sermon on the mount, and we get the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger. And we have got all of these kinds of things in here. And then we have Jesus talking about murders in the heart. And then we talk about, he, he's saying you're the salt and the light. And then he says that uh, adultery's in the heart. And then he says that you ought to go the extra mile. You know, and then he talks about the, the, the sanctity of marriage. So there's all kinds of things. And this is where he also throws in love your enemies. So it's, it's all here. And it seems so scattered in everything that, we're, that you read. There's so many topics that he's covering in one section of Scripture, but there is something that shows up over and over and over and over and over and over in the passage of Scripture. You want to see it? Well, I'm going to show it to you anyway. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 says, You have heard that it was said, verse 28, but I say. Verse 31, it has been said, verse 32, but I say. Verse 33, again, you have heard that it was said, Verse 34, but I say. You seeing the theme here? Verse 38, you have heard that it was said. Verse 39, but I tell you. Verse 43, you have heard that it was said. Verse 44, but I say to you. The most repeated thing in this passage of Scripture, this whole passage with all these different ideas, Jesus keeps saying, it's been said this, but I'm saying this. It's been said this, but I say this. It's been said this, but I say this. And this is all still within the context of being the light of the world, which tells us then that to be the true light of the world, you must reject what everybody else is saying and take what Jesus says as the truth for your life and live by it. The light shines brightest. It shines brightest when you are living by the Word of God, because He is the light. And this goes on and says, Awake those of you who sleep and shine bright. Listen, there's talk, there's voices, there's rumors, all this stuff happens, and, and there's, there's just stuff. There's conspiracies. I hope you don't get caught up in that stuff, but it's sure fun. Uh, you know, there's all these conspiracies, right, about everything. Everything. Can you believe there's actually a conspiracy about whether Elvis is still alive? That's just weird to me. But they're still out there. You know, every, they're, they're out there. And you can get caught up and lost that fast. 
You can, you can get on YouTube and go down a rabbit hole and find yourself lost in minutes. And you're hearing what they say, 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 what they say. And there's a lot of voices, especially now, especially because of the events of last year, there's a lot of voices. It's just fear, 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 fear. Yeah, but they say, but they say, but he says, don't be afraid, be courageous. Take heart, I've overcome the world. This is what the light looks like. The light shines by living by his word. The third one, and I I gotta wrap this up. The third one is found in verse 15 of Ephesians chapter 5. It says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. We walk in love, we walk in light, and we walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. Wisdom is one of those things that seems to come flooding in when we've made a huge mistake. Right? It's one of those things that, that becomes a part of our life because of experience. Right? Am I the only one? Like you feel smarter because you were dumb at one point, right? I, I think about me and my brother. Me, me and my brother, we, we, had a, we had a goal in life. We had, we had two, actually, and, and neither one of them came to pass, which was a little bit of a downer. Number one is we wanted to be the Dukes of Hazard. Number two, <laughs> number two, we wanted to be Evil Knievel. And for those who don't know who Evil Knievel is, shame on you. But my brother was a lot closer to being Evil Knievel than I was because he had an Evil Knievel bike. He had stars and stripes painted on it. He had the banana seat, you know, the big, thick, padded banana seat. He had one of those that had a flag on it. I was so jealous. And so, but we knew, we knew that his bike, because it was an Evil Knievel bike, could jump higher than my bike. And so we came up with a plan. We had these 50-gallon metal barrel drums that we were going to jump. And so we laid them on the side, stacked them like this. Here's the ramp coming this way. You know, we're, we're eight, nine years old. We knew physics. And so we, <laughs> we started on a slope like this so that he could get all the speed that he needed, you know, to hit the ramp. We knew exactly how much speed he needed to clear those barrels. We had it all, I mean, mathematically figured out. You know, we're like the, the wily coyote of, of Roadrunner and Coyote. You know, we had all, had all the stuff figured out. And so here he goes. I'm standing off to the side watching like this. And here he comes down this hill. Now, we're not on a paved road. We're out in a pasture, okay? We're in a field. We're in a field. So his handlebars are going like this. You know, it's like, you can do it. You can do it. And right about the time he hits the ramp, a glaring fact showed up. And this glaring fact was that we had miscalculated And, and interestingly enough, it seemed to hit him at the same time that it hit me. And what we didn't calculate was the landing. And we built the ramp facing the house. And from the last barrel to the outside wall of the house was just enough width to put the bike in. And so he is panicked. Obviously, I think he's going to die. And I'm watching, and he looks at me, and he, and he commits. The only thing he could do, but it's wrong if you're on a ramp, he slowed down. 
but he couldn't stop fast enough because he had already hit the ramp. So he goes, and he lands on the last barrel, and he's just looking at me like this, as he just flips like this. In the air, for he and I both, wisdom is just flooding in. You know, it's just coming. It's coming. Like, oh, we got it now. Too late, but we got it now. We, we understand. And, and sadly, wisdom shows up like that in our life. It's like in the moment, it's like, oh my gosh. And, and, and sadly, in the, the life of, of, of pastoring that I have had, there have been many people who've gone through some really, really horrible things in their life. And a lot of times, it's because there's a lack of this. There's a lack of wisdom. And sadly, sadly, in that moment, oftentimes, their question to me is, where was God? Now, I don't say this because I'm a pastor and I'm really trying to be a lot nicer to people, but inside, I'm thinking, where was God? Where was wisdom? Proverbs 24, verse 3 says, wisdom builds the house. Wisdom builds the house. That means when you learn the lesson, don't learn it a second time. Don't be hard-headed. Don't think that that was a one-off. You could do it again. No, you can't. Wisdom says the lessons you learn, apply them and live by them. Now, here's the beautiful thing about the Word of God. We have characters in the Bible that made horrible mistakes so that we don't have to do that. And we can actually learn and gain wisdom from the Word. Jesus said it like this. He said, the one who hears my words and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Wisdom, yeah. Proverbs says, is the principal thing. Now we have a wonderful verse of Scripture. I'll finish with this. James 1, verse 5. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I will gladly raise my hand. I still lack wisdom. But the Bible says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, and God will give it to you liberally. So there is a shortcut a little bit of a shortcut, but he'll give it to you liberally. Now, when it says that God will give it to you, sometimes we just think that God's just going to download wisdom. And, and he might, he might, he might. And if you'll spend time in the word, I believe wisdom will come that way. But oftentimes we're wanting God to just solve. God, I just need you to fix this. I just need you to fix this. And, and God's not actually wanting to just solve. He's wanting to bring wisdom. And oftentimes in the struggle and the trials of our life, he comes and just takes us by the hand and walks with us. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. And I'm not even saying that the trouble is his plan. All I'm saying is that he joins you and he'll take you and he'll walk with you, delivering wisdom all the while as you walk this journey. Just don't get ahead of him. Don't think that it's too late. Don't think if you hurry, if you don't hurry, you'll miss it. I said I was going to finish, but I just had a thought. Think about Esther. We quote the scripture from Esther, the verse, uh, I believe it's verse 14 of chapter 4. And it says, you have come into the kingdom for such a time as this. But that's actually not what it says. What it says is, you, just maybe. <laughs> just maybe you've come into the kingdom for such a time as this. Now, we quote 
You've come into the kingdom for such time. Okay, this is my moment. This is my moment. And then she gets the moment with the king. She gets the favor that she wanted from the king. The king says, ask anything you want, and I'll give you everything you want up to half the kingdom. And she says, uh, come, come and let me prepare dinner for you tonight. But you're in the kingdom for such time as this. Hurry up, get it done, or you're going to miss your opportunity. No, 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 just come to dinner. And they go to dinner. They get to dinner. The king and Haman, you need to read the story if you don't know it. Haman's the bad guy. But they come to dinner. She feeds them, and the king says, okay, what do you want? Make your request. I'll give you everything up to half the kingdom. And she says, come back tomorrow night for dinner. And from the time that she had the first dinner to the second dinner, things unfolded and a plan that was in place by God started to unfold. Whereas if she had rushed that first moment, this would have never happened. Wisdom sometimes says, wait, wait. You don't need to act right now. Just wait. Don't get in a hurry. And be at peace. God's with you. You're going to land at the right place at the right time when you're following him. Amen. You're not going to miss out. God's not going to bypass you. His plans and his promises are not going to leave you behind. He's with you. You're with him. Yeah. Relax and let wisdom do its work. Let wisdom build the house. Make better decisions. Colossians chapter 4 verse 6 says, let your speech always be with grace. Seasoned with salt. That phrase seasoned with salt means filled with wisdom. And it says, then you'll know how you ought to answer everybody. Let God's grace be at work in you, filling you with wisdom so that you have the right words to say and you're building the house. And if I could just put it in this context, build this house. Be a part of building this house with the words that you speak. Build this house. Jesus is building this according to Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Jesus is building the house. And what a privilege that we've been asked to help him. What a privilege. This is the only move of God that has passed from generation to generation since it began. Every previous move of God showed up and disappeared, showed up and disappeared, showed up and disappeared. And oftentimes within months, sometimes within one generation. But the church of Jesus Christ, once it began, it has not ended. What an honor to be a part of something that's going to be passed to the next generation that's not dying. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you bow your heads, please? Impersonate God as best you can. Walk in love. Walk in light and walk in wisdom. God's going to take care of you. This may not sound like a sky-splitting prophetic word, but I have something that I would like to say, and I believe it comes from the spirit of prophecy, and that is this. Everything's going to be okay. God is for you. Everything is going to be okay. You are going to be okay. Church is going to be okay. Your future is intact. God is for you. Father, I thank you for these people. I thank you for this church. This church that you are building. Lord, we thank you for the work that you are doing here. And we declare in faith, the greatest days are ahead and the best is yet to come. And so Lord, I pray for these 
your family, your children. As Revelation says, the kings and the queens of the earth. Thank you, Lord, for these people. And I bless them. And Lord, as we see in your word the importance of following you and imitating you. Father, I ask for courage for your people to take bold steps. And I pray, Lord, that they'll have the courage to leave behind the mistakes. They'll have the courage to leave behind the the hurts and the pains of the past and not allow those things to disqualify them or make them think that they cannot truly imitate you. And Lord, there's not any of them when they take the step. I know according to your word, there's not any of them. As they take the step, they're not fakers. They're not fraudulent. They're your kids trying to be like their father. And Lord, I bless their journey. I declare that whatever their hands touch, it prospers. Your word says wherever they set their feet, they will possess that land. And I declare according to Psalm 512 that your favor surrounds them like a shield. They are guarded and protected as we sang this morning from generation to generation to generation to generation. And I thank you for your Holy Spirit empowering them and strengthening them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.